electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, Tim Seymour, and Pete Najarian. Tonight on Fast, diamond hands get tested. GameStop, Clean Energy, Clover Health, AMC, all falling hard today on growing fears of a coming crackdown. Is the SEC about to take aim? And are they even aiming at the right target? Plus, we're trading the builder breakdown. Home builders falling today, and it got some of our traders scratching their heads. We're digging in on this move. And later, more room to run. One of our traders says this is the best-looking chart in the market. Why he's sticking with a tried-and-true trade. That name, straight ahead. But we start off with a red-hot read on inflation. Consumer prices eclipsing expectations last month and rising at the fastest pace since 2008. Pretty scary, right? Well, the market didn't seem to think so. Stocks hitting records today with the S&P 500 closing at a new all-time high. And over in the bond market, the 10-year yield falling for a third day in a row now at its lowest level since March. So red-hot inflation, red-hot market. Did we already price in inflation, Guy? Where are we here? Well, if you had, again, I play this game with you all the time. I've made a lot of games, right? But this is one of, the game, one of my favorite games yeah. is if you had told me this 24 hours ago and said, where's the market going to be? I would have said the S&P is going to be down 35, 40 handles. Ten-year yield is going to be 1.7, if not higher. VIX higher. 100% wrong again. Here we are. The VIX is the lowest we've seen it in quite some time. I'm sure Pete and Tim can speak to that. And the TLT, which obviously, you know, the, the bond security, talking about levels we haven't seen it on the upside since the end of February. It's shocking to me because these numbers were absolutely hot. But it doesn't matter what I think. It's what the market thinks, and it backs up everything Dan Nathan's been saying for the last month. Whoa. Which is the tantrum. It's just a transitory tantrum, and it's not in the markets. You know, we look back at 13 and 14, and we saw some different markets were doing a whole different things based on what we thought the Fed might or might not do as they taper QE and then come off uh, zero interest rate policy. But really, this is just in the pundit class. I'm looking at you, Guy Adami. I'm looking at economists. I'm looking at strategists. I'm looking at journalists, and I'm looking at, like, the billionaires. Billionaire investors, they're the ones freaking out here. The market, the bond market doesn't really seem to care. And if you look at the way equities act, I I mean, I really, you know, I will tell you this, though. The S&P is breaking out, but it's not breaking out because of all of those things that kind of got us here, that got the inflation sort of warnings going. Mm -hmm. If you look at right now, and I know we're going to talk about builders, but look at the XLF today. The bank stocks turned over. Look at materials turned over. Looking under the hood, it's not great, except for large cap tech. That's what kept things booing. We saw that rotation today. And I think that's the most important thing, because as rates were rising, as everyone was convinced they were going to 2%, we saw tech stocks go sideways or lower. Well, this certainly gives a reprieve for the tech trade, Pete Nigerian, for all those people who are worried about, you know, remember way back when, like in March, <laughs> when the 10-year yield was at 174, and we use that as sort of the high watermark in terms of the, the peak inflation fears. That's when the tech trade really did not work. And yet here we are, and this seems to be a green light for that trade that had such difficulty. Well, and maybe, Mel, we're seeing a little bit of that rotation actually happening, which I think has been very, very healthy throughout this run that we've had. And a matter of fact, when you look at the CPI numbers, and everybody's talking about it today, but I think the one thing we all should just sit back and take a look at is 
Shouldn't we have expected this? We've been looking at the price of copper going from $3 to $4.5. We've watched oil go from $34 or $36 all the way up to $70. So we know what's in front of us, and it's just a matter of how is the market uh, digesting this right now? Well, it's been digesting it really, really well, Mel. I mean, honestly, everybody's been on board in terms of what is the direction. Inflation is absolutely here. How long is it here for? Is there something else that's going to jump out, or is this something that's going to cool off? I'm probably more in the category of cooling off because the leadership role has been energy, has been materials. It's been a lot of different other areas of the marketplace, not tech. But it feels to me like tech wants to start moving once again. And if that's true, we're going to start to see maybe Apple, maybe Amazon starts to break out a little bit. We've already seen Facebook and Google already, um, in terms of the FANG names, doing really, really well. And some of the names in the semiconductors as well. So it's just a matter of which names that you're looking for that's going to be the next leadership role. And I think technology is definitely in that position. Yeah, and Pete mentioned the pri- rising prices that were just in front of us. We heard it certainly from corporate America just yesterday. We were talking about UPS. We've been talking about the Costco rotisserie chicken going up in price, Tim. We know it is here, but at the same time, we also know that a lot of these commodities are in backwardation, meaning that the forward prices are lower than what, what they're currently priced at. And so that is in front of us, too. And is that, that enough solace at this point? Do you, do you believe that the market has priced in the worst for inflation? Well, look, I think the market looked it square in the face. And, and, and yes, maybe six weeks ago is when we were pricing in uh, you know, some of that commodity inflation Pete's talked about, the other guys have talked about. I, and I think 130 is probably a level on the 10-year. Um, you know, maybe uh, the, the breakdown, some of the technicals of the last couple of days say we may have to test there. Um, I, I, I might be one that says uh, the bond market well ahead of the equity market. Bond market might be two moves ahead of the Fed. And, and maybe starting to, to see a Fed that at some point is going to have to move, and, and that's going to knock, you know, bonds are going to rally. I mean, you're going to see the long end of the curve come down that much more. So um, equity shouldn't like that. And again, it is, it's a little bizarre. You're getting bonds and stocks rallying at the same time, and we've talked about this on certain days. And, and I think it sets you up for a place where uh, they will both sell off on the same way. But I think for now, equities um, don't listen to the bond market. And I think for now, equities are poised to move higher. These guys talked about, look, it's a lot easier for the S&P and the NASDAQ 100 to move higher when Amazon, note that leadership, and and then Apple and Microsoft are are cruising. They are going to move this market a lot easier. Financials that outperformed the S&P by 45 percent since November, it's it's appropriate that they're taking a pause here. I think that was interesting when when Tim said, Guy, that the bond market may be two steps ahead. So pricing in when the Fed actually does taper, and that's the move that we're seeing at this point. But if that is the move that we're seeing, then that means that this rotation should be much firm, firmer, right? It's, I mean, the, the software companies that we were saying, the high valuation names, they should, they have runway at this they point. They should be absolutely off to the races. I mean, Tim makes that point. Dan has made it, and Pete just talked about it as well. And Pete's right. I mean, maybe you should have anticipated this. It was all in front of us. I just thought these numbers were hot enough to justify the moves that I sort of spoke to at the beginning of the show. But, you know, these companies that have these margins that are not necessarily going to get hurt on the way up in yields, they're absolutely going to have a tailwind on the way down. You're right. There's a huge amount of runway, and we talk about them all the time. I've mentioned my Oracle that Dan sort of pished poshed the other day, but those are those types of names. I know they're better names than that. I, don't I just wanted it. to mention the O and the uh, Hope uh, trade. 
Well, we're going to do that later, guy. Just read your rundown next time. Um, pish posh. We don't even know what that is, if you will. I mean, um, here's the thing, though. You know, we're talking about, like, you know, Tim just mentioned copper. Look at lumber. Lumber's down 30%, you know, and, and, and the whole the whole housing trade, that was like such a big thing or whatever. So I guess when you think about 5% year-over-year inflation, look at what happened. Look at the comparisons. I just feel like we're going to get back to that place where the Fed is going to be wishing they get to 2%, right. you know, on average again. And, and, and I don't know why, if you look at the last 20 five years, anything is particularly different. And when you think about how technology has been this massive de- deflationary force in that time period, I really think we're going to get back to where we were prior to the, yeah. uh, the pandemic. Remember when we were saying that inflation would never come because of the structural changes in Correct. the economy? I mean, your cell phone bill going lower, things like that, that are structural yeah, yeah. changes in the economy. And, and we've forgotten about that, it seems, in, in all of this. Talk of the well, quickly, one thing that is different is the fact that the Fed's balance sheet's now approaching, if not north of sure. $8 trillion. And, oh, by the way, not that anybody seems to care anymore, but the market cap of the S&P 500, the GDP right now, is 200%. Right. If you think about it, it's a staggering number. Just I know people say it's different this time because all these stocks are in the national world. I get it. But Buffett's indicator, he gets worried around the 125 130% level. We're well past that now, Mel. Well, let's talk about Dan had brought, brought up the home builders. Yeah. This is a market mystery, if I will. I mean, it seems like a puzzle. Take a look at this chart. It's the ITB, the Builders ETF, specifically focused on the home builders themselves, down 2.5%. And you would think lower yields would mean that mortgage rates are lower, lumber prices are lower, so it's better for the builders. So what, what gives, Tim, in your view? Well, we've priced in a lot of great news for the builders. It's not as if they didn't rally, and they've been struggling now for for six weeks as well. And I I think you have a case here where you have inventory issues, you have affordability issues, you have supply issues. Yes, uh, you know, order books look great, and and certainly those home builders that are better positioned for the more affluent buyer uh, are in a better spot. But for, for a lot of people out there buying a house, it's not available. Um, and, and I think, it, you know, all the housing data we get continues to point that multifamily housing uh, is still very strong and, and that you have, you know, new home sales numbers, which at times have been really choppy. So uh, look at look at like a Whirlpool, um, which is also a, a stock that I think fundamentally um, incredible story coming out of the covid and some of the supply disruptions and obviously pent up demand. But gross margin uh, dynamics and, and where I think the company's very well positioned, that stock's actually pulled back, you know, another seven or eight percent off of those highs. Um, so it's not just the home builders. It, it are some of the component pieces. I, I, I think some of that is is temporary i think in terms of the pieces and the components and the 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 the, you know the trains and the the hvac players and even the whirlpools i I think demand overall um, remains very very strong but home builders uh, don't always have answers to the issues right now for the home buyer yeah, I would just add this, is that I read a stat the other day, like 70%, whoever it was, I think it was a home builder was saying, of their new sales are relocations, right? And those yeah. are orders ahead of time. And so I guess my point is, when you think about, we're going back to the pre-COVID levels, the pre-pandemic levels uh, you know, of lifestyle in general. And I think that a lot of people who are panicking to get out of urban areas, I think that, that kind of comes back. And you mean so it's I, a reversal, yeah, relocation, just, that's a reversal well, I, of what had happened. Right. And, and, and so like, I, I think that those are just one of the very unique situations that led to a weird supply-demand situation that led to a weird input cost sort of thing. And, and I, again, I'll go back to lumber. In the last month and a half, it's down 30% or so from those highs. So I just kind of feel like, you know, we just got to take everything. It's going to balance itself out. Everyone just chill out. All right, let's talk more about uh, the inflation picture and what, what the markets are pricing in. Bring in Steve Leisman. We have got to bring in Steve because he's got the answers. 
we hope. Um, what, what do you think, Steve? I mean, the market's at record highs. We were just saying maybe, maybe it's all priced in at this point. So can we get a picture of, uh, I don't know, maybe Joe Adami's face when I say this, which is Who's sometime Joe? this morning around 9.15, <laughs> Guy, sorry, Guy Dom. Sorry. Um, He's been anyway. up for a long time. Guy's yeah, face here. What, yeah, I, sorry. It's been a while. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Sometime around 9.15, after a 5% inflation print came out, somebody, Guy, on some trading desk and a whole bunch of trading desks said, go buy 10-year bonds. And that's what they did. Now, I, it just strikes me as a little bit over the top here. I was early and, and pretty forceful with this idea that this inflation thing could not be transitory. But I never thought there was no risk around the idea that inflation could be a problem. So to me, um, it seems to me like the market maybe is overcorrecting from an overcorrection earlier. If you look at the 10 year over time, Melissa, we went from like 90 to 160 or even as far as 170 in about a flash of an instant. Right. And, and now it looks like it's correcting on the downside. But the idea that people would turn after this 5% number, the second one that's hot in a row, with, by the way, some indication that there may be some lingering or lasting issues inside this number, um, I, I would say that that's an over, what's the word I'm looking for, a little bit too sanguine about the risks of inflation. Oh, okay. So too sanguine at this point. I want to ask you, though, about what Tim had posited, and that is that the bond market is actually trading two steps ahead of the Fed. So seeing even past transitory inflation, seeing back to a normalized economy, to a time when the Fed will actually taper and so interest rates will actually go lower. Yeah. um, You know, Tim is in like a third dimensional, you know, uh, (laughs) ice petal flowers dissolving yes, kind of world where he's like he's like different i mean he's like so many far dimensions down maybe that's true maybe they're down into this you know uh, uh super double reverse psychology thing where they're down in there um that that could be i can't i can't deny that but but uh, i i just think that that there's some risk on the table and somewhere between 170 and 150 is where things belong. But this idea that we dropped like a rock on the 10-year and stocks shrugged it off. I mean, you know, there are arguments that st- some stocks will do well in an inflationary environment. I'd like to see a little more proof of temporary before I put all my chips on the table. Yeah, I mean, the proof of temporary is exactly right, Steve. And, you know, Joe, people call me a lot of things. Joe's a first for me, but I understand sort of that Italian thing. I totally get it. But I'll say this. I think, you know, we talk about short squeezes all the time and all these different uh, individual stocks. I mean, I think to a certain extent, you might have been seeing the same thing today in something like the TLT. I'm not trying to explain why I've been wrong, but I think that is an explanation as to what's going on. I mean, short squeezes are happening all around us, and I think you just sort of illustrated that point. Can, can I show you guys two charts I think you have in the back there? First, I want to show you the airline chart, which is uh, what you'll see is you'll see two solid months of gains for airline fares. Um, a, a huge, huge gains, uh, 10%, I think, the prior month, 7% this month. What you'll see when you look at that chart is we're still below where we were. So we're still on the way back up. There we go. Uh, that number, uh, that, that peak on the left there of the screen is below or is above the peak on the right there. So we still have about 6% below where we were before. That has room to grow. It could go again, especially with all the focus on domestic travel, no international travel yet to speak of. The other chart I want to show you, and this kind of bodes well 
for what's going to happen on the energy side of inflation is U.S. production. We're still like a million barrels below where we were. This is just the domestic side. OPEC still has oil off the market there. So that you see the peak of U.S. oil production there. What is that? 1.2, above 1.2 million. Now we're down about a million, a million one, wherever it is right there. But that's going to come back, I think, some of that production and certainly yeah. some of the OPEC production. So one of those things tells you over time, I think energy is going to come back down. But there still could be some room to run things like energy, used car prices through the roof. I don't know if you guys are holding on to some classic cars or whatever, but you get the collectibles part of it and you get the uh, inflation part of it when it comes to used cars these days. All right. Steve, great to see you. Thank you, as always. Steve Leesman. Um, I know Pete collects watches. I don't know if it falls in that category, um, (laughs) Pete. But in terms of, you know, I thought what was interesting was the markets may be too complacent effectively about the risk of inflation that's out there at this point. What do you think? Well, that could be, Mel, but, I, you know, I think there are times where we just have to look at things and we're in a, a, a mode of pause. And you got, just going back to housing just for a moment, when you look at where some of those builders were back in January when this started, really, and this explosive move to the upside, a name like D.R. Horton, for instance, DHI, that was in the 60s. It got up over 100. And now it's pulled back some. But it's still up. When you look back, it was in the 60s, and now here it is in the mid-80s. It just tells me a little bit of something about rotations and where people want to be and where they feel comfortable and the moves that we've gotten. And I think it's just about every part of this marketplace. And I think that there's a lot of different ways that you can correlate things and say, you know what? Now it's been that time. We had that six-month run with the FANG stocks that absolutely exploded to the upside. They've paused ever since, and every, everybody wants to ask, what's wrong? What's wrong with Apple? What's wrong with some of these stocks? I don't think there's anything wrong. I think that's that pause that we see as we rotate, and we're seeing that in all kinds of different sectors, and it's, I just think that's very, very healthy. So that's why I feel even more bullish than I have been because of the fact that I think this healthy rotation makes a lot of sense, and we are seeing the movements out of certain areas and back into others. And when you look at the financials, all you got to do is look at that 10-year. Today, the 10-year was down. We're down below 1.5. Financials were off fairly significantly today. So it, all, it, it does make more sense, I think, than we are maybe uh, leading on right now. So Pete just gave you all these reasons why he's really bullish. And they all make perfect sense. When you think back to the throes of the pandemic back in February and March, when we were in that black hole, I think, as Druckenmiller called it, no one really knew um, what was going to happen here and what worked out of that. Some of those biggest tech names, the ones with like recurring revenues or deep moats and great balance sheets, all that sort of thing, and they massively outperformed. And then what did we have? When we got the vaccine news in the fall, we saw a rotation out of all those names into more GDP-sensitive sort of names. And so now what I think what Pete's saying is if you're kind of worried that things are going to maybe, I don't know, plateau out, we're going to get back to some sort of normalcy where we can start judging on pre-pandemic levels, well, then it makes sense that you would go back into some of those big defensive tech names with the recurring revenues and the moats, and then possibly into some of those secular growth names, because we've been talking about it a little bit. There's a lot of downtrends that were pretty nasty in names like Zoom that were down 50-so okay. percent. Well, they just broke above those downtrends that have been in place for six or so months, and you're starting to see that in a lot of different names. You're starting to see it in the ARK Invest, that A-R-K-K. Remember we used to talk about that a little bit? That thing just broke above its downtrend that had been in place. And that was at 160, went down to 100. I think it's traded at 114 right now above that downtrend. And what about the materials trade? 
or financials? I don't think the materials trade is over by any stretch of imagination. You know, Pete talked about a pause. Well, I think a lot of these names are taking a pause as well. Dan mentioned that, you know, lumber's come off 30 percent or so. Copper's probably going to roll over a bit. And maybe these stocks take it on the chin in the short term. But the thesis behind them is absolutely still intact. And if you look over the last six months, there have been pullbacks in every single one of the names that we talk about, only to find buyers and take them to the next level. I think that's what we're in the midst of now. All right. We've got a news alert out of Washington. Let's get to Elon Moy for that. Elon. Melissa, a group of 10 senators, both Democrats and Republicans, say that they have reached a bipartisan agreement on a framework for an infrastructure plan. Now, they don't say exactly how large this plan would be, but they do say that it would be fully paid for and that it would not include any tax increases. This group of five Republicans and five Democrats say that they are still discussing this plan with their colleagues as well as with the White House, that they do feel that this could lay the groundwork to garner broad support from both parties as well as meet America's infrastructure needs. Of course, this agreement comes after those direct negotiations between President Biden and Republican Senator Shelley Moore Capito broke down earlier this week. Now we're seeing this new bipartisan infrastructure proposal. We will see if this gets further traction, both on Capitol Hill and with the White House. Melissa. Elon, thank you. Elon Moy, Tim Seymour, we were just talking yesterday about how the breakdown in infrastructure talks was supportive to the bond market. So in the context of the conversation we were just having, (laughs) this could mean that yields could actually be going higher. It could. Um, And it could mean that also some of the materials trades that I think have have also been under some pressure because some sense that some of the follow through from infrastructure wasn't going to be there. So, um, yeah, look, I I think the market is is, uh, done a decent job of actually figuring out what fair value is from stimulus and, and from infrastructure plans and actually you know, that that some of this was was part of rotation into these stocks in the first place uh, in terms of where the bond market could be overdone to the downside. Look, I think we're going to find that. But I, I think the trade still is a bit lower in yields over the next couple of days, uh, unless Washington does an amazing reversal here. Um, I, I think either way, bonds are pricing in uh, a sense that we overshot on inflation. Still ahead, Microsoft levels up. The tech giant saying game on as it doubles down on gaming. We'll break down the details straight ahead. Plus, diamonds in the rough. GameStop, Clover, AMC all falling hard today as fears grow that the SEC is taking aim. What that means for this trade when fast money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close? or travel somewhere far away. At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Microsoft higher today as a tech titan says game on. Let's get to Josh Lifton with the details. Josh. 
Melissa, what does the future of Xbox looks like? Well, it turns out it doesn't necessarily all depend on Xbox consoles. Xbox making some news today, pretty interesting. One saying it is now working with manufacturers to embed Game Pass on smart televisions. So Game Pass, of course, is Microsoft's subscription service that gives users access to a library of hundreds of games. And earlier this year, Xbox said Game Pass already boasted 18 million users. So with this offering, no extra hardware would be needed except, of course, a controller. That's not all. Microsoft also saying it is developing a standalone streaming device. So the idea here is if you have a strong internet connection, you could just stream the Xbox experience. Again, no console required. Microsoft not saying yet, though, when this new app or hardware will officially launch. But Bernstein's Mark Merdler saying Microsoft is trying to become the Netflix of gaming here, creating a popular service that could become very valuable over time. In addition, Mark says this could also drive scale and margin improvement in Azure, because remember the service is running in Azure data centers. Now switching gears to another kind of video game story, let's end here on EA, which says hackers did break into its network and stole source code, but no player data was accessed. It does not expect any impact on business either. EA, you can see, finished basically flat, but meanwhile, cybersecurity names like FireEye and CrowdStrike closed sharply higher. Melissa, back to you. Big issue. Josh, thank you. Josh Lipton. Let's first trade Microsoft. Um, Pete Najeri and I will go to you, uh, your hero, Satya Nadella, and I say that because it's a CEO that you greatly admire, said that go, you know, using cloud is a fast, easy way to get into gaming. Um, is this the right move, particularly yeah. when the consoles, I mean, they're facing the chip shortage, can't get them out the door? Right. I think it makes so much sense, Mel. You've got 200 million subscribers, or not subscribers, but owners of the console. You've got 18 million subscribers to this streaming sort of an idea with the, uh, with the games. I think it makes total sense. I think when you take a look at and strip out gaming from their earnings in this most recent uh, uh, report, it's amazing what they're doing right now. They're actually up 50%. It was $5 billion in revenue. So it tells me a lot about where the, the direction is that they're going. And I can only imagine going forward that the streaming will go, will go somewhere from that 18 million number. I, I, I actually could see it in the not too many distant uh, years that where we'd be seeing this in the hundreds of millions. I, I could see that as, and it's already a 999 uh, element. So that type of package, I think, makes so much sense for Microsoft. And it's just one more reason why Satya Nadella is so good, because it's not just about the cloud. It actually brings in the cloud, but it's gaming, and it's another way to get folks involved with the gaming world, especially those that don't want to have the console, and they can absolutely do this in a streaming way. I think this makes total sense for Microsoft. Yeah, to build on Pete's point, I think he's earned the, he's earned the respect, and you know, people are now going to cut him the slack. And... Basically, if he says they're going to do something, they're going to get behind it. The market's going to get behind it. And if you look, you talk about a chart that's gone basically lower left to upper right, series of higher lows and higher highs. It's poised to take out, I think the all-time high was 253 or so a few weeks ago, into the July 22nd or thereabouts earnings release. So I think he's earned that respect. I think the market's going to pay, div I think the market's going to pay him off for this move. Who should be worried about Microsoft's move, Tim? Maybe, you know, maybe Tencent. 
um, because, uh, you know, I think Tencent's the biggest gaming company in the world. And to the extent, you know, Ensemble and through the cloud is, is partially how Tencent's been, been, been dominating globally. It makes so much sense for, for Microsoft to be here. And again, Pete pointed out those numbers. I mean, it's, a five, it's been a $5 billion business and, and it's been growing rapidly over the last few years uh, in terms of the consoles. So um, also huge boost to Azure, which again, last quarter, by the way, you know, 46% growth. People are expecting low 40s, uh, continues to surprise to the upside. So I, I like Microsoft Tire here. And for all the reasons we talked about in the first part of the show, just in terms of the rotation going on here, this is where we're going to see this next wave of growth. Yeah, I would just jump on that. I mean, I agree with everything that Pete and Tim just said about that. And you look at that chart, 263 was that high. Um, there was nothing wrong with that high, uh, with that print, uh, the, the fiscal Q3 print in late April. Um, but expectations were really high. So you look at that chart there, there's been two 8% peak to trough declines, but continues to make a series of higher lows and higher highs here. So expect a breakout. But I guess the other way to think about it is just play the QQQ. I mean, if you feel pretty good about these Q2 earnings and what the back half guidance is for the major, uh, major tech names, you just do it that way. Dan is being shy. You yeah, know why you know I that? say that. We have, we have calls earlier in the day, and Dan actually <laughs> called Microsoft the best-looking chart in the market. You did? Yeah. But last Were week, I, but last week I called Tesla the worst-looking chart in the market. No stranger to hyperbole. Like 5% in my face. So, know. Um, you know, hopefully this doesn't go down 5%. Oh, okay. Well, we'll see. Coming up to the moon and back. Paper hand setting some Reddit names lower as SEC crackdown fears heat up a former SEC branch chief. Joins us next to break it all down, plus American Airlines announcing an investment in an electric airplane SPAC. We've got that and much more when Fast Money returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Fast Money. Fears of a regulatory crackdown setting Reddit stocks down big today. Last night, GameStop disclosing that the SEC is looking into the recent volatility in its shares. That after SEC Chair Gary Gensler announced plans to review the current market structure, specifically payment for order flow. And on Monday, the SEC announced it is looking into any disruptions of the market, manipulative trading or other misconduct when it comes to some recent high-flying names. So as the SEC turns up the heat, what exactly will they be looking for? Let's bring in Lisa Braganza, former SEC branch chief. Lisa, great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. I think that there's a big question among some of these, you know, retail traders who are in these high-flying stocks as to what is going on in the markets and whether or not their concern is real or not. It is pervasive. So let's go through the numbers here. According, These are Gary Gensler's numbers. 53% of total trading happens on public exchanges, which means that 47% does not. 9% happens in the dark pools. Do we know, does the SEC know what actually happens in these dark pools? The SEC has the ability to be able to look into that. The problem is that, you know, for this, this large portion of trading that isn't occurring on the public markets, it's gumming up the works. The, the way that um, the markets were set up 
was with an expectation, and the, and the, the regulations are set up, was with an expectation that there would be public trading and that the prices um, that stocks were trading at would be available on those public uh, platforms, exchanges. Well, that's not the case for about half the trading that's going on out there. And the great thing about Chairman Gensler, I really wanted Chairman Gensler bobblehead because he's just the best. I mean, he is looking at this, at the reality of what trading is today and saying the law is out of step. And, you know, that's the that's the sign of uh, somebody who's not a lawyer. And so- it's just perfect to see. We, we have the ability to look into what is going on, and we should also add as a corollary that 38% of trading happens in off-exchange um, trading platforms, and so away from the public exchanges as well. Could you say definitively that things like naked shorting does not go on, given that the SEC hasn't really looked into the trading activity at, to date in these dark pools and in the off-exchange trading which is subject to a, a whole different set of rules. I mean, do, do we know? Because the perception of this new generation of investor is that the market's rigged and that there are institutions and bigger investors who are committing effectively financial treason off exchange. And, and that is the huge issue that I think that the uh, current chairman is addressing, that the trading in mean stocks, the, the fact that... Uh, that we have Reddit traders, people who are very active and who want to be investing, young people who are are learning a lot and are, are passionate about this, but who lack confidence in the regulatory structure and in the system. Uh, that is something that, you know, you need confidence in capital markets in order to have a healthy system for raising money for business. So, This situation is something that I think he wants to address. My hope is that he's not just looking to, or the the enforcement division is not just looking to come down on the Reddit traders. I mean, obviously, if there's insider trading that was going on, if there's, uh, you know, market manipulation that's illegal, then, you know, they will find that. Um, I, I think it's a shame that GameStop's stock took a hit um, when it disclose this uh, subpoena because, you know, this happens all the time. Uh, the, the SEC can be doing an insider trading investigation and it will issue a subpoena to the company that uh, whose stock was traded and the company didn't do anything wrong. So there really isn't any reason for the markets to be reacting so negatively um, and for investors to be running from GameStop. Right. This is not a GameStop problem. It's a, you know, trading problem. With respect to the naked shorting, I don't think the problem really is naked shorting. Shorting is a good thing. I mean, we we have this balance that goes on. We have people who buy a stock and, you know, they want good things to happen. So they want the price to go up. But sometimes the price is too high. So how do we bring it back down? Shorting is one of the few ways that we can get that price back to reality when it's too high. Sure. And I don't think anybody's disputing the role of shorting in this market. It's a it's a it's whether or not naked shorting, which is illegal, has been illegal since the financial crisis actually exists and whether we know it it exists or doesn't exist when so much is traded off exchange 
and, and there's less transparency to the market. But I want to get back to something that you said that I thought was interesting, and that is the SEC looking into these Reddit traders. Why would the SEC go after in large part, what seems to be retail traders. I mean, if you took a look at, at what the CEO of AMC um, sent out yesterday in terms of 4.1 million individual investors that own an average of 120 shares of AMC, this group of people, this cohort doesn't seem like they would have their wherewithal to manipulate the markets, unless you see something that that isn't obvious to me, at least. Well, I think what the SEC would be looking into is whether there is some kind of coordinated effort to drive up the price. What's what's interesting here is that um, what you tend to see in a market manipulation is a pump and dump. And, you know, people take their profits. That's not the case here. So that's the main reason that I think the SEC should not be focusing on the traders uh, because they're they're not some of them of course are are getting out and and uh, taking some profits but the vast majority are not and that is not what right. the the um, the overall group was uh, advocating and was doing so um, I think the real issue here is do we have systemic problems not retail trading problems not right. manipulation um, and and some of it is, going on um, undisclosed. Um, you know, yep. the SEC has the right to go in and and look at what Citadel is doing and look at what mm-hmm. these other big uh, market participants are doing. But how much are they doing it? You know, that's something we just don't know. Right. Lisa, thank you so much for your insights. We do appreciate it. Thank Lisa you. Bergonza. Um, former SEC branch head. Um, I, I think that is the interesting question that is, you know, are there systemic issues involved here that the SEC needs to look at at least because there is a lot that we don't know. And for all the people who are ready to say that naked shorts don't happen, that's definitely, you know, one opinion. There's another group of people who believe that it does happen. And there's so much off exchange do we know? Right. That's the issue. And it's nothing that we're going to say that's going to change our opinions, and sure. that's fine. And, and I'm sure it does happen to a certain extent. I've been of the belief that these derivative products that are creating synthetic shorts that are highly levered are part of the problem. I'll also say this. Don't think for a second, and I've mentioned this, I'll say it again, that hedge funds haven't hired people to infiltrate and, and watch and in some, in some capacity participate in some of these rooms without question. You want to investigate something? Go find those guys and gals because I think they might be at the root of this problem as well. Pete, what's your perspective from the options market point of view? Yeah, it, I'll tell you what, the, the volumes are absolutely extraordinary, Mel, and we've talked about that before when we were addressing AMC not too terribly long ago and going back to GameStop back in January and the volumes continue to be there. And, and you know, the derivatives markets, uh, they're a great tool, but they also, you know, there, there are obviously uh, some of the uh, characteristics of it all that cause it to seem like it, it, it's a different way of trading, which it is. And it, if you know what you're doing, then that, I think that's very comfortable. For me, my biggest discomfort is that I don't know that a lot of the people that are actually trading in the derivatives markets right now completely understand what their risks are. And as, I, I, I don't know how we can uh, fix that, but they've got to get a better understanding of what's really going on and how much risk do they really have on. And I think that's part of the problem because, 
She mentioned investments. These are not investments. These are trades. These are traders. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind about that. Even the 100 share folks or the option folks, they are trading this. And so they're not looking at this as some sort of a they're not they're not seeing the fundamental story. They're not seeing a lot of the other aspects of it. What they're looking at is the opportunity for that squeeze of those shorts. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but they've got to understand much more about what they're doing and what their risks are. And that's my biggest concern right now as I watch this continually move to different stocks each and every day. All right. Coming up, American Airlines looking electric. The airline announcing an investment in an electric aircraft SPAC. We've got the details next, plus big moves in some pharma stocks that has one ETF surging. We're bringing you the move of the day when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got some developing news on American Airlines. Let's get to Phil Lebeau with the details. Phil. Hey, Melissa, the SPAC frenzy within the world of EV tolls continues, and American is playing a role in it this time, announcing this afternoon that it is one of several companies and a pretty high roster or high profile roster of backers behind. Uh, Vertical Aerospace, which is out of the U.K., they're announcing a SPAC. American is backing it, also ordering up to 250 EV tolls from Vertical Aerospace. The commercial service target date, now this is according to Vertical Aerospace, 2024. But let's be clear here. There are no regulators around the world who have yet signed off on any EV tolls from any company that are in development. And as we know, when it comes to regulators and approving new aircraft, often these timelines are a little bit aggressive. Having said that, as you take a look at shares of American, keep in mind that it's putting $25 million into the pipe on the Vertical Aerospace SPAC. And who are some of the companies that are backing Vertical Aerospace? As I mentioned, this is a pretty impressive list of backers. Microsoft, Avalon, the aircraft leasing firm, Honeywell, Rolls-Royce, they all want a piece of this company. And when it comes to EV tolls, remember, this news comes on a day when the EV tall company Archer Aerospace, or Archer Aviation, excuse me, out in California will be unveiling its EV tall, the production version of it. And that's a company that United Airlines is investing in. As you take a look at shares of United Airlines, they announced the deal to invest in Archer a couple of months ago. And this morning, we had on the head of United's new venture capital fund. And he said, look, we've got $200 million that we will now be looking to invest in various startups or in those products or projects that can help the bottom line in the years to come. EVTOL is being part of that. So, Melissa, we're going to see more of this, I think. You will, this is not the last airline that has decided it is going to take a stake in an EVTOL developer. I think we will see more of this in the months to come. So 2024 is an aggressive time frame, as you mentioned, from the regulatory aspect, but from the technology aspect, I mean, what kind of batteries are these eVTOLs going to be using, and is that battery right. commercially produced now? You know, when I've talked with the people in the battery industry, they think the battery is actually the least of the technological hurdles mm. to overcome. The bigger hurdles to overcome are on the regulatory aspect of these uh, vertical takeoff and landing aircraft they're designed to fly, theoretically, in urban areas. So let's say you want to go from uh, the offices there in uh, Times Square and you want to go out to LaGuardia. You hop in one of these. You zip over there real quick. It, it sounds great on paper. But when I've talked with people at the FAA or at other regulatory agencies, they all say the same thing. Sounds good on paper. We want to make sure that this is safe for the public. Yep. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Tim Seymour, do you like your airlines making these sorts of investments? 
I don't, you know, this doesn't change my view on the sector. I, I don't think these are re-rating moments. Uh, vertical aircraft. I mean, this is more about sustainability and a commitment to environmental standards. And I think Americans done a nice job with this. Um, a $25 million commitment in, in a pipe is not um, a game changer for probably, you know, of the, of the three major airlines, the company has the worst balance sheet. Um, I don't think we want to see them dumping a ton of, of R&D into this. I think this is, uh, again, unlike the autos and unlike where EV um, is clearly uh, happening and, and a game changer and, you know, on some level um, is a multiple uh, re-rating dynamic for, for different reasons. Um, I don't see that changing uh, how we're evaluating airlines anytime soon. And as Phil talked about, I mean, think about the kind of the air traffic control and FAA dynamics around this. Um, you know, interesting stuff. Um, not changing my view on them. If anything, of all the airlines, American actually has the best looking chart right now, probably because it is uh, the most levered to upside in the economy. Not the best looking chart in the market, is it? No, that couldn't pipe. That's no. Microsoft. That's, clearly, that's, that stands Microsoft. Okay. <laughs> Coming up, shares of Oracle, just clarifying. Shares of Oracle heading south today. Professor Coe will join us with the options action on that one. Don't go anywhere. Much more fast than two. A down day for Oracle Company reports results next week. We've got your setup ahead. But first, as we head out, a message from CNBC producer Patrick Manning as we celebrate Pride Month. I credit a lot of my success to the fact that I am LGBTQ. Once I fully came out and was living truly who I am, I felt a tremendous weight lifted off my shoulders. And I started to notice that that's when I really started to succeed in my career. It also led to a lot of very dear friendships and relationships within the LGBTQ journalism community. And that led me down many paths that I otherwise may not have discovered. Welcome back to Fast Money. Oracle is on deck with earnings next week. Let's get to Mike Coe with the setup. Mike. Yeah, so we saw Oracle trade about 4.6 times its average daily put volume today. And right now, the options market is implying a move of about 5% by the end of next week after they report on Wednesday. The most active options were the June 85 strike puts. Over 6,100 of those traded, including a trade of 4,700 for a price of $3.15. That occurred first thing in the morning. The buyer of those puts obviously making a bearish bet that Oracle is going to finish at the end of next week lower than it is today, betting that earnings could potentially be a disappointment. Thanks for that, Mike. See you tomorrow for Options Action, the full show, Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, final trades. For the final trade around the horn we go tim seymour yeah better trade excuse me better chart than microsoft look at cisco sorry dan <laughs> better chart pete nigerian i'm gonna go with jay farner i'm gonna go with rocket mel mm. dan nathan microsoft new highs by july the best chart on the market according to you guy dami better chart than microsoft and cisco and jay <laughs> farner z scale or dan's gonna at me but look at that sucker Thanks for watching Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.